Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Hello, good evening. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Coming to you live from our studios at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Salom Adonu. Tonight I'm here with Akosia Ochre. Coming up over the next 90 minutes. There are people in the region who are saying we should not intervene, you know, and that it is because of insecurity, because of bad governance, because of all that. I wish to inform the community in West Africa that the entire world is suffering from one the aftermath of covid 19 what is happening in ukraine today we have enough military resources to intervene in niger should ongoing diplomatic efforts fail this is a conclusion of ECOWAS's Committee of Chiefs of Defense Staff at their meeting uh, this afternoon in Accra. Also on Eyewitness News, I've seen North MP Jechi Kwesin reports Attorney General to the General Legal Council over what he describes as professional misconduct. Uh, and we'll share details of what he's been saying exactly with you in the next few minutes. Still on Eyewitness News, and the far former minister, Cecilia Dapa, slams office of special prosecutor for freezing the assets based on media frenzy. Meanwhile, it came out for the first time in court today that her husband is also under arrest. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on this and other stories on eyewitness news and in business government assures of revamping tema oil refinery to meet oil demands to restore ghana's energy sector there is more business in the next 50 minutes eyewitness news live across the country on all our affiliates and around the globe at citynewsroom.com in the western region we are on beach 105.5 fm in takradi sky power 93.5 fm in takradi as well but in the bono region we are on greener 95.9 fm in sunyani in the Hafo region we are on hammers 106.5 fm in gosu in the ashanti region we are on focus 94.3 fm and orange 107.9 fm both in kumasi we are on revival 93 99.3 fm in Tajevu in the Volta region, Radio Bimbila 91.9 FM in the Northern region, Tanga 93.7 FM in Boga, Tanga in the Upper East region, Tunsong 97.3 FM in Wa and Jirapa 96.1 FM both in the Upper West region. Uh, you can comment our welcome via our WhatsApp line 0549986996. You can follow me on Twitter at Selom. I don't know the hashtag. As always, a city newsroom. Akusha gives us our first story. Let's start from here. The ECOWAS Commissioner for Political Affairs, Peace and Security, Abdel Fatal Musa, says the calls for the revocation of ECOWAS's decision to act against Niger lacks valid justification. Speaking at the extraordinary meeting of the ECOWAS Committee of Chiefs of Defense Staff held in Accra, Ambassador Musa emphasized that a standby forces response will be necessary if ongoing diplomatic negotiations prove ineffective. He reiterated the commitment of ECOWAS to utilize all available strategies to restore democratic governance in Niger. There are people in the region who are saying we should not intervene, 
you know, and that it is because of insecurity, because of bad governance, because of all that. I wish to inform the community in West Africa that the entire world is suffering from one, the aftermath of COVID-19, what is happening in Ukraine today, is having a very devastating impact on livelihood throughout the world. I was in the UK just about a week, a little over a week ago. Shelves were empty, gas prices were skyrocketing, and you can say that for almost all the European countries and all the other African countries. So if because of these difficulties we have to stay cool, then the whole world will be plagued, you know, by unconstitutional changes of government. We say no to military intervention. That is the issue. And the fundamental issue is that ECOWAS is protecting its protocols. ECOWAS is protecting its protocols. And that is why I would want to thank, uh, in particular, uh, General Christopher Gwabin Musa, the chair of the ECOWAS Committee of uh, Chiefs of Defense Staff, for his resolute uh, leadership of this committee at this very critical moment. Let no one be in doubt that if everything else fails, the valiant forces of West Africa, both the military and the civilian components, are ready to answer to the call of duty. Your valiance has been demonstrated time and time again in the 1990s in Liberia, in Sierra Leone, in Cote d'Ivoire, in Guinea-Bissau, and recently in Guinea-Bissau again, and in 2016 in the Gambia. Ironically, when ECOA deployed the standby force to the Gambia to make sure that a president who had lost elections vacated the presidency, nobody made noise. Today, they are saying, why are you intervening in Niger? You know, so serious interests are at stake here. But that is not going to divert ECOWAS attention. We just want to tell them that uh, and inform them about the resolve of the ECOWAS of state and government to make sure that by all means available, constitutional order will be restored in the country. And this meeting today, best testimony to that, this meeting is a continuation of the planning meeting that took place on the 2nd to the 4th you know, of August, where the concept of operation, the logistics requirement, financial requirement, timing, you know, and all other uh, uh, what is it, uh, factors around the possible intervention were worked out by uh, the Chiefs of Defense Staff. And people are telling us, where are we going to get the resources? So ECOWAS is being teleguided by the West, it is being teleguided by France, it is being teleguided by anybody. But what they forget is that ECOWAS is a rules-based organization. We have our protocols, we have our norms, and we are ready to protect them. That's why the heads of state are saying, if uh, 
push comes to shove, we are going into Niger with our own contingent, contingent owned equipment. We are going with our own resources and to make sure that we, so, we restore constitutional order. If other democracy-loving partners want to support us, they are welcome. But we are not going begging, cap in hand, you know, before we do what is right for the region. So this is the determination that I want to put across here as we meet today uh, to fine-tune and then also to, uh, you know, plan about the timing, about all that. Meanwhile, we are still giving diplomacy a chance. The ball is in the court of the Janta, the CNSP, in Niger. If they pull back from the brink, the military option will not be necessary. But we want to warn them that all options are on the table, and no option is off the table. You know, so uh, a way to the wise is enough. You have the Abdel Fatou Musa. He's a ECOWAS's Commissioner for Political Affairs, Peace and Security. Meanwhile, the Minister for Defence, Dominic Nitoo, has urged the various chiefs of defence staff to remain loyal to their respective heads of state in order to prevent the occurrence of coup and its associated challenges. Your presence alone sounds and gives me a powerful message to the world that you are united in carrying out the directives of the heads of state and governments of ECOWAS and that after tomorrow, today and tomorrow's meeting, you will put in place a plan to ensure that the standby force is activated and that democracy will be restored in Niger. If presidential guards in Guinea and Niger, I will use the word take hostage their president, nobody, and let me repeat, nobody in West Africa is safe. That is why I urge you to continue to be loyal to your heads of states. I urge you to continue to be loyal to ECOWAS directives and to give effect that the days that could detest enjoy the support of our people are over. Yes, in democracy, people will agree to disagree. But the vast majority of our people in West Africa are with you. The vast majority of our people in West Africa do not want to be under the difficulties that we are facing today. You have the right, as men in uniform, to ask your governments for what you will need to be able to defend your, your nations. You have the right to ask your governments to give you the tools to defend the territorial integrities of your nations, to ensure that your nations remain peaceful. You have the right to ensure that your people choose your leaders in a free and fair manner. But 
The world will disagree. ECOWAS will disagree. The people of ECOWAS will disagree. When you choose, or people under you choose, to take hostage the people that your constitution give power to. Otherwise, all of us, including you, will not be safe. Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen, I am very optimistic that between today and tomorrow, all of you will put your rich experiences together to be able to activate the ECOWAS standby force to enable you to respond adequately and swiftly to the demands placed on you by our heads of state. You did it in Liberia. You did it in Sierra Leone. You did it in the Gambia. You did it in the Guinea-Bissau. Of course, to some extent, the world did it in Côte d'Ivoire. And I believe that after Niger, ECOWAS and the world will see that West Africa is back to normal and our people will begin to enjoy the life that they deserve. That was um, Dominic Nito, his Minister for Defence. Now, Samuel Okujoto Ablakwa is a ranking member on Foreign Affairs. The Foreign Affairs Committee of the Parliament have said that they were against any deployment of troops by Ghana uh, into, in, in Niger to, to, to intervene in that country's um, internal affairs, if you like. Now, given that the, the defense chiefs have held this meeting in Ghana and appear to be singing from uh, the same hymn book, uh, what does the minority really think? So we've called him up to help us uh, uh, appreciate their position, whether anything has changed at all. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. The, 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 the chiefs have said that every, if everything else fails, uh, then they will have to undertake uh, the military uh, they have to go the military way or they have to intervene militarily should everything fail. The point is, you know, is this position different from what, you know, a lot of people have spoken about? Because, you know, it appears that they are putting the military intervention as a last resort, which is what everybody else has called for. So is there any change in position at all? Because people think that the initial position as espoused by ECOWAS and what we've heard today and in recent days, you know, there is quite a shift from the old position now they appear to be coming towards the middle from the hardliner position uh ahmed bola tinubu uh communicated some time ago well good evening salam good evening to all listeners um let me emphasize that the position of the ndc caucus in parliament has not changed uh you recall that our party leadership put out a statement last week on this matter a statement which was very much in sync with article 40c of the Ghanaian constitution. The Article 40 C is very clear that in its dealings with other nations, the government shall promote respect for international law, treaty obligations, and the settlement of international disputes by peaceful means. By peaceful means. Emphasis mine. So we take the view that yes, let us all condemn military takeovers. We do not endorse coup d'etat. We want democracy to be entrenched. Uh, but even more fundamentally, we must be looking at what is causing these coups. Why is it that in three years we have had six coups in the sub-region? We must be worried about that. There are issues that ought to be addressed. The bad governance, the corruption, the state capture, the massive unemployment, 
the neo-colonial entanglements. These matters have to be confronted head on. If they are not confronted, it does appear that we shall return to the era of coups that we all thought was behind us uh, between the 1960s and 1980s. So having said that, listening to the ECOWAS chiefs of defense staff, you are right that the communication is somewhat confusing. Uh, sometimes you get the impression they are ready, they are going all out, they are descending into Niger. Other times, uh, like after today's meeting in Accra, they are talking about their requirements and that they have now put together their requirements, the logistics they need, the financial uh, uh, implications. So one is left quite confused, exactly what these uh, chiefs of defense staff want and what these heads of state uh, really want done. And that is why we take the view that the heads of state should just have deepened diplomacy. They should have used constructive dialogue. They rushed in that 30th July 2023 communique, which was re-echoed in the 10th August communique. They seem to have rushed, presented everybody with a fait accompli, and even in their own member states, you are seeing the resistance. When I heard your clip, the defense minister claiming that there is such overwhelming support, <laughs> I was wondering uh, where our defense minister has been. Because in Ghana, the Presbyterian Church has issued a statement. The Christian Council has requested a meeting with the president. Civil society organizations have been speaking. Experts, major political parties, everybody is saying that don't use military intervention. Because, you see... The examples they keep citing about Gambia, for example. Gambia is not Niger. The Gambian situation, everybody knew that you are going in and you are going to deal with only the Gambians. The whole world was against them. In Niger, it's a different ballgame. You are going to find when you arrive all these violent extremist groups. ISIL is there. Al-Qaeda of the Maghreb is, is there. Then you have all these private contractors. The Wagner Group is there. The Intel is confirmed. They are, they, they are there. And they appear to have some close relationship with the Janta. Then you have military bases there. The French have a military base. The Americans have a military base. They are soldiers on the ground there. So you are going to have a proxy war, the geopolitical uh, proxy war, as we are seeing in Ukraine will rear its ugly head again. So it's not a simple matter. You're going to have a conflagration. And you have all of these interests, all of these forces that will be brought to bear. And there's even no guarantee that Bazoom, who they are so concerned about, will come out of this alive. So the real solution lies in diplomacy, lies in constructive dialogue, and we will urge ECOWAS. They should stop all these confusing signals. Look, only a couple of days back, 
I listen to the president of Kivet, who says that, look, I was part of the heads of state who, who issued this communique. I have reflected, I've listened to my people, and I think that we should think twice. Let us take the violent option, the military intervention off the table, and let us rather focus on diplomacy. Because, you see, when you follow the ECOWAS scene closely, I get a sense that they are spending more resources, more energy on the military mobilization instead of diplomacy. Because this meeting in Accra, I mean, I'm not aware of, you know, a very concerted effort to go and engage all sides in Niger. So we insist that instead of sending our soldiers into Niger, which will be like just sending them to a slaughterhouse where there will be such massacre as all the analysts, all the pundits have predicted. Let us go for what our constitution and joins us under Article 40C, pursue peaceful resolution. Article 73 of our constitution also says that we should always look at our national interests when we are pursuing foreign policy. What really is Ghana's national interest going to engage in this in this proxy war, which will be fighting other people's wars, those who are exploiting uranium in that country and who have some interest there, who have military bases, who want to uh, remain in Niger? Why do we want to get entangled in, in, in that mess? What really is our national interest? As the Constitution, Article 73, calls on us at all times to make our most important consideration when we are taking these decisions. So I really will renew the call that we have always made that violence, military intervention, war is not going to help us in this situation. And finally, Salom, let me also emphasize that now you hear the chiefs of defense staff presenting a budget. We are hearing all kinds of figures. None of the information we are picking up is less than $2 billion. It's clear that our government will require parliamentary approval. So the insistence by the Akufuado regime that they will not come to parliament, how are they going to fund such a military intervention without parliamentary approval? Because Article 178 is very clear. So nobody can withdraw funds, nobody can back such an operation, which we don't support anyway, without parliamentary approval. So that is why you see the sense in the call that we have always made that, look, such a matter, even Article 75 and the Gitmo decision is very clear. You need these resolutions debated by parliament. They have to be ratified by parliament, whether they are ECOWAS, AU, or whatever uh, uh, international agreement there may be. So even with the financial aspect of this whole you know, possible deployment. You need parliamentary approval. And you see government now finding itself in a, in a tight corner. So I will just urge, like every, most people are saying, the Presbyterian Church, the, the, the Christian Council, the Muslim clerics, 
Look, in Nigeria, the Senate has spoken. The governors have issued a statement. The Yoruba Council, you go to Senegal, the parliament has spoken. Cape Verdean president is saying that ECOWAS leaders do a rethink. I have had a rethink. So that should be the way forward. Salam. Yes, I think it's quite easy to, to understand the position uh, of, of the uh, persons who do not support military intervention. But what do you think, or what, in your view, is is making the ECOWAS leaders themselves seem resolute that military intervention really is is a, is a is a main way to go? Why why are they insisting when quite a number of people think otherwise? This your question is uh, quite a difficult one, and is open for all kinds of interpretations and opinions. In my candid opinion, Selom, I am of the view that ECOWAS leaders are frightened to death. They have seen what has happened in Guinea, in Burkina Faso, in Mali, uh, six schools in three years. They are wondering who is next, which of them is next. So I am of the view that they want to stem the tide. They want to end this wave. And this is the option they have considered. Let's talk tough. Let's do what we didn't do earlier on. Uh, let's make it very costly uh, for anybody contemplating military intervention. Honestly, Salom, I would have wished that the leaders rather look at the causes and not the symptoms. They are still in a symptomatic framework instead of looking at the causative factors. It is the bad leadership, it's the corruption, it's the, 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 the lack of opportunity, the state capture. Look, when the, in these countries, leaders failed, terrorists took over. Burkina Faso, the terrorists control more than 60% of, of, of the country. The soldiers were helpless. And then their leaders were spending on themselves and things that were not priority. You have leaders who are changing their constitutions. You don't, you don't see this kind of, you know, when in the same ECOWAS protocol, it is not only coups that are frowned upon, but constitutional manipulation, constitutional mutilation is also frowned upon in the same way. You don't see that resistance, that revulsion. They go and endorse them. They attend their swearing-in, you know, ceremonies. They go there as special guests. So I, I, I honestly will submit that instead of being scared of the next coup, they should rather be scared about the causative factors, the, 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 the reasons why these coups are well-received. You see the people celebrate. In as much as we all look, as a member of parliament, I know if there's a coup, God forbid, in Ghana, I lose my job. Every coup, the first announcement is uh, parliament is dissolved. So sincerely, we all don't want coups. We, 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 we think that uh, military disruption uh, does not help. But you see, there can be democratic disruptions, there can be democratic waste of time, democratic you know, distraction of countries. That concept must also be understood. And ECOWAS leaders should start looking at the causes, instead of being frightened to death mm. about the next coup. And you see, let me conclude on this question of yours. 
by suggesting strongly that if care is not taken, what may even be a precipitating factor for more coups will be a bloodbath in Niger. If this ECOWAS deployment goes ahead, the soldiers are not well-equipped, well-resourced, and we have a conflagration and there's a massacre, you can begin to imagine the fallout, what will happen back home in their, in their respective countries. So I, I don't think that the ECOWAS heads of state are really uh, looking at the matters dispassionately and, and, and more, you know, deeply uh, and nuanced uh, I, 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 I mean, in, in a way that really will help all of us address the current threat of coups that we face. Very well. Thanks so much. The Honorable Samuel Okudetua Black, a ranking member for Foreign Affairs Committee of Parliament and MP for North Tongu, speaking to us on this matter. Uh, just by way of information, I mean, the Punch newspaper is reporting that Mali's military leader, Asimi Goeta, yesterday said Russian President Vladimir Putin stressed the importance of a peaceful resolution over the Niger Republic coup where the junta seized power, you know, uh, sometime last month. Now, Goeta spoke to Putin over the phone to update him about the situation in Niger. If, if you are conversant with the happenings in, in, in that zone, you realize that Russia has interest there, the French have interest, and then uh, the Americans also have interest in, in that area. So Goita, uh, speaking via his social media platform X, uh, said Putin, quote, stressed the importance of a peaceful resolution to the situation uh, for a more stable Sahel. Um, it was feared, according to the, 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 the portal, that the military may seek to switch allegiance to Russia and close French and U.S. bases there. Uh, so Putin has called for a return to constitutional order in Niger, whilst the Wagner chief uh, welcomed the coup. And that, that is also another conundrum, uh, given all that is happening between the Russian regime and then the, the Wagner group. Wagner group is, is a Russian group, but, you know, between the Wagner chief and Putin, there's been some uh, bad blood in recent times. Well, we'll see how these things pan out. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. There is more on this particular one coming from the NCCE Akosia. Yes, the National Commission for Civic Education, NCCE, says plans by the ECOWAS to commit military to Niger in ensuring a return to constitutional rule would amount to nothing if the citizens are not in support of the coup. Now, speaking at a meeting with the officials of the Public Affairs Engagement Department of Parliament, the Deputy Chair of the NCCE, Samuel Asare, stressed the need for both institutions to collaborate and safeguard the democracy of Ghana. The ordinary man on the street is losing confidence in our political institutions and democratic institutions. For me, that is the saddest part of it, that we must stand up to address. Because we can marshal all the forces to go and fight whoever is uh, engaged in coup d'etat or undemocratic change. The people on the ground says that's what we want, what we want. So we need to take our mandate seriously, raise the level of awareness of the ordinary person on the street so high, to be able to appreciate why we must protect, why we must ensure that our democracy is never, never overthrown. 
Samola Sari Kwamwa is the Deputy Chairperson of the National Commission for Civic Education, the Director of Public Engagement in Parliament, Superintendent Retard Ifiatengi, also highlighted the need to protect the country's democracy and ensuring peace in Ghana. One thing I would say is that we will never know the peace we enjoy until we lose it. Peace is a priceless commodity. And if we have it as Ghanaians, we should do everything to protect it. Because as we speak now, there is an ongoing need amongst ECOWAS chiefs as to what intervention should should they take regarding what is happening in Niger. If Ghana is peaceful, I think that it behoves on these two institutions to do everything we can to protect this priceless commodity. Because that is all we have. If anything should happen to Ghana, I wonder where. Because some of us, we love Ghana. It is Ghana we want and nowhere else. And so I think in summary, this is where we are here. And uh, we are very optimistic. But by the time we live here, we also have very um, innovative ways by which we could partner. We are ever ready to start this partnership for the common goal of Ghana and the people of Ghana. Superintendent Retard Ifiating is the Director of Public Engagement in Parliament. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. A few of your messages that have come through. Uh, uh, John from Sandama says, Good evening. I reckon things are going to be dire. Should ECOWAS adopt the military intervention until the day African leaders will use the resource of the people to their benefit? Africa is going to be uh, a den of coups. Uh, we should ask ourselves why are, are coups only taking place in Africa? It's simply and squarely bad leadership, you say. Uh, Banat Chairman in Tamale says ECOWAS must tread cautiously with this military intervention thing. After all, the coup in Niger did not cause any single death. But this move by ECOWAS, is, if implemented, will lead to many deaths. Jonah Tete in Kofurida says, if military option is not part of the alternatives of the current hardship facing many countries, especially in Africa, then our democratically elected leaders should live and rule by their promises and also remember that they are elected to solve problems and not be given excuses. Enough of the excuses, uh, Mr. President's of Africa land is uh, Isaac and Chiawini Ayariga from Gary says it's so funny listening to our defense minister what do the people deserve the hardship the corruption the waste of state resources by politicians the bad governance all over I beg leave Niger people alone and do not also use that as an excuse like you are using uh, you are doing in Russia in the Russia Ukraine case you say uh, Mahamaba Kojo from Assume says nobody supports coup d'etat just for fun but it is painful to watch politicians share our collective uh, cage among kick among themselves while the citizens wallow in object poverty. The leaders must sit up and do the right thing. That is the only solution. He wants uh, to enjoy the corrupt monies after power, asking the poor army to be loyal, uh, loyal to bribery and corruption. Okay. All right. Eyewitness News 97.3 CTF. And we'll take a short break, return, and we'll give you more. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You all come back. Now, the Member of Parliament for Asin North, James Chachukwesen, has formally urged the General Legal Council to initiate disciplinary measures against the Attorney General, Godfrey Dami. Quaison's request stems from allegations of professional misconduct levelled against Dami in the context of his ongoing criminal trial in the High Court. The Member of Parliament is currently in court over forgery 
and perjury charges. The state is going after him on charges of deceit of public office, contrary to Section 251B of the Criminal Offences Act 1960, Act 29, forgery of passport or travel certificate, contrary to Section 151B of Passports and Travel Certificates Act. Now, the minority in Parliament has issued a seven-day ultimatum to the Bank of Ghana to provide information regarding the cost and details of its new headquarters construction in Accra. The minority chief whip governs Agbuja Long with Member of Parliament for Boku Central, Mahama Yarika, signed a letter invoking the Right to Information Act, Section 18, Act 989, to request this information. The minority is seeking various details, including the procurement process for the land, names of consult- consultants and project managers. Now, Mahamaya, in an interview with City News, elaborated on the reasons behind this demand. All the issues in the letter, they are supposed to provide the information. If the information is already there, and the information must be there, they must be holding the information because they've completed the procurement. That's why they're actually doing the construction. And they've employed the consultants and project managers they must be outside working now so they know who they are and uh, the prices they have it otherwise the contractor will not have moved to site so there's no information there that they don't have that they need to now go and look for so you know within the twinkle of an eye they should have all that information otherwise then they must be the most incompetent institution in fact they could even provide that today if they want in fact the reason why we're asking them these questions is because one of you asked them a question and the director of finance refused to give the information. Otherwise, we would not have even been interested. It's because a journalist asks them and they refuse to give the information. Then we say, ah, but this is basic information. How can a journalist ask you this question and you refuse to provide information? So we said, no, 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 no. It can't happen that way. You cannot refuse to answer this question when a journalist asks. We'll go through the official mechanism for extracting the information from you. My hem- Mahama Erika is member of parliament for Boku Central. Now, the High Court in Accra has scheduled August 31 to deliver a ruling on the special prosecutor's application to freeze bank accounts of Cecilia Dapa and see some monies found in her home at Abelengpe. Lawyers of the Anti-Corruption Agency and the former Sanitation Minister uh, today argued before Justice Edward Chum on whether the orders for seizure and freezing of the property should be confirmed. The Office of the Special Prosecutor, represented by Dr. Isidro Tufour, argued that the order is in line with the Office of Special Prosecutor Act 959 to prevent concealment of property believed to be tainted with corruption. The confirmation application by the Office of the Special Prosecutor is aimed at seizing 590,000 US dollars and then 2.73 million CDs found in her home upon a search of the three houses she's associated with. Well, now let's speak to our court correspondent, Hansen Ajiman, who was in court today to, to, to provide some further updates on what really happened in court today. Hansen uh, Ajiman, welcome to Eyewitness News. So today uh, we are told that Cecilia Dapes' pushback was that the uh, application and the fact that the uh, the Office of the Special Prosecutor is, is, is pushing to confirm the seizure uh, of its assets is merely based on media frenzy and misrepresentation. What what really do you mean by that? Hello, Hansen. 
Uh, I'm not sure I have Hansen on the line, uh, but let, let's let's try again. Um, hello, Hansen. Uh, hello. Well, 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 I don't have Hansen. Hello. Well, um, hello. Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, yes. So, uh, yes. So, so what what really did she mean by the fact that the application was based on media friend, frenzy and misrepresentation? Essentially, what the lawyers of Cecilia Dapasso to push in court was that the Office of the Special Prosecutor has not been able to give any grounds in law as to why the property should be seized or frozen. And so, in their respective opinion, they think that their act is only in respect to uh, the media coverage that has uh, that that has characterized this issue since publications of the monies that were allegedly stolen from the home of the former sanitation minister. They also indicate the point that they have uh, evidence to prove which they deposed to in their affidavit in opposition. That suggests that the monies as have been outlined have been uh, rightfully earned by Cecilia Dafa, an affidavit that we are not privy to at the moment. But their objection to the motion, one is on a procedural ground, to the point that if you look at the Office of the Special Prosecutor Act, it dictates that when a property is seized or another for seizure is made for a property, within seven days after that order, the Office of the Special special prosecutor is supposed to apply to the court to confirm that particular order. It is their view that the office of the special prosecutor made this application after the seven days provided for in Act 959, which the office of the special prosecutor is relying upon for the order for seizure. And so it is their view that this is a procedural limitation that the Office of the Special Prosecutor is mandated to go by. Since if you read the act, the, uh, it, it, is, it, it, it is said to be shall that the Office of the Special Prosecutor shall bring the application seven days after making the order for seizure. Now, the other point they based on is that when the Office of the Special Prosecutor decides to freeze a, an account or a property belonging to somebody who is under investigation. It is not only the case that once the person is being investigated for corruption and corruption-related offenses, then it guarantees or forms a ground for which their account should be frozen. According to lawyers or the former sanitation minister, it is imperative on the part of the Office of the Special Prosecutor to provide reasonable grounds for to believe that that particular property is tainted with corruption or was used in connection with an offense or, were, or was obtained by means of, a, of, of an offense. And it is their view that the Special Prosecutor so far has not been able to provide such grounds to warrant the uh, provision or to, to warrant the granting of that particular application. And so,
summon all these up for lawyers of Cecilia Dapa, they believe that the application is nothing short than attempts by the Office of the Special Prosecutor to perpetrate the arbitrary exercise of power through facts in their view that have been misrepresented and the resultant effect of media frenzy. I see. So for the first time also, we heard that a husband was also under arrest. What, 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 what really uh, brought up that matter? So according to the facts before the judge, the 590,000 Ghana cities and the 2.73 million Ghana, $590,000 and 2.73 million Ghana cities were found in her matrimonial home at Abelinsi. Now, the Office of the Special Prosecutor indicated that there were disputes as to who owned which particular amount of money, even with respect to the, the, the money that has been stolen. So the judge only questioned why Cecilia Adapa is the only person under investigation if this money was found in her matrilineal home uh, and in her, uh, in, in her home, the home that belongs to her and the husband. And you are yet to give a definite answer as to which money belonged to her. It was at that point that Dr. Isidore uh, Tufo actually revealed that her husband was also placed under arrest and was granted bail. And so this information, the lawyer's office in indicated that it was new to them because Cecilia Adapa was with her lawyers. Now, I must say that this was a virtual court. The court, the the, the judicial system is on, on legal break, and some of these cases are being heard virtually. And so the lawyers were with uh, Cecilia Adapa at one particular location, and she relayed to the court that her client has indicated that she is not even aware that her husband has been placed on arrest by the Office of the Special Prosecutor. I see. Uh, uh, thanks so much, uh, um, Hansen Ajiman. Thanks so much for bringing up to, us up to speed on, on happiness in court today. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Uh, Akusha has some more stories. The Ghana Health Service is actively addressing the growing concern of nurses and doctors leaving the country for better opportunities abroad. Over 1,200 Ghanaian nurses registered in the UK last year at about uh, 150 experienced professionals from Pantan Hospital have also pursued opportunities overseas. Director General of the Ghana Health Service, Dr. Patrick Kumabwaje, noted that efforts are underway to recruit additional healthcare professionals to strengthen the domestic workforce and curb the brain drain in the health sector. In the last three years, we have been able to recruit up to about 33,625 new staff uh, to boost our capacity. And so we have moved from 86,000 staff to about 120,000 staff as at half year, June 2023. Definitely, we've suffered with the brain drain. By looking at the numbers, in terms of the absolute numbers, we are not uh, not affected. We have lost experienced people. We have lost some skilled staff, but we have also put in system to make sure that in the next two years we are able to replace them with further training and recruitment. So, in the last uh, one year, I think we lost about 525 or so uh, nurses. But of course, currently, despite 120,000, we are currently having recruitment of additional nurses across the country. We've been able to send uh, 
doctors to the rural areas, but we want to use the opportunity to encourage communities to put in systems that then attract and skills up to their districts and their communities to offer uh, care. Dr. Patrick Kumabwaj is Director General of the Ghana Health Service. Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We'll go back to that story on Jechi Kuisin uh, and, and the fact that he's reported the Attorney General uh, to the General Legal Council, which is uh, the regulatory body for the practice of law in, in this country. Uh, we've been joined on the line by the uh, Director of, um, of Legal Affairs, who also happens to be counsel for uh, or member of the, the legal team for Jechi Kuisin, uh, Ibrahim Amaliba to help us appreciate why they want to uh, uh, report or they have reported uh, the Attorney General of all people to uh, the General Legal Council. What exactly they are expecting the General Legal Council to do about that? Hello, good evening, uh, Mr. Maliba. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Can you help us appreciate why exactly you will report the Attorney General to the General Legal Council? And what, what, what are you seeking to achieve with this? Good evening to your listeners. And to say that the Attorney General's conduct on the last day of the trial at the High Court in the Accra was unprofessional. His conduct is akin to a football player who uses his hand to score a goal. And that is unprofessional, as you may be aware. You will recall that the first, the prosecution witness, the first prosecution witness was in the witness box. And when Chantushikata was cross-examining him, he made a point, the witness made a point that he had attached a statutory declaration to his witness statement. And so when the witness statement was shown to him, the statutory declaration was not annexed or exhibited to the witness statement. And so Chatishikata sought to find out where the statement was. The witness kept saying that it was attached. There, you find, you find the Attorney General proffering and suggesting to the witness that the statutory declaration was not annexed to the witness statement, but it was annexed to another document. And we felt that was unprofessional. Because it was a witness who took an oath to speak the truth and nothing but the truth and not the Attorney General. But we understand that the Attorney General has this desire, you know, to have the situation convicted. And the desire is so strong that he couldn't, you know, restrain himself but to be suggesting question answers to the witness. So how about if it, in the view of the, the witness, obviously, will, will submit its documents or evidence to the lawyer, and the lawyer will put them together in a manner uh, that the lawyer deems fit or in a manner that, that is in accord with the rules of court. So maybe the, this witness provided all those documents. So to the best of the witness's knowledge, the document was attached. But perhaps in putting the documents together, maybe something happened, the lawyer maybe failed or something happened so the document couldn't be attached. The witness in his mind would know or would think that the document is attached. So the, the, the witness may not necessarily be telling a lie if he said that the document was attached unless, of course, the document is shown to the witness and indeed the, the, that particular 
document is not attached, then we can say so. But was the document shown to him? And 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 did, was the document not there when he saw it before the attorney general, you know, made the comment you said he made? The witness in his witness statement says, "I hereby attach the statutory declaration or exhibit this." He's in the witness box. He is supposed to testify. He has sworn an oath to, uh, as it were, freely and factually testify. The Attorney General does not, or any lawyer who is conducting such a case, is not in the witness box and cannot proffer any suggestion or supplant his wishes on the evidence of the one in the witness box. So you notice that after the Attorney General said that, the witness was now being led on that ground and was now answering the question in accordance with what the Attorney General has said. And I'm saying that it is unprofessional for any lawyer to be suggesting answers to a witness who is in the witness box. It's not that. I see. So, what what would the what what uh, what would the general legal counsel or him uh, uh, do to him, or what sanctions will he face? General made comments which are subjudicial because he made a point that Jetikwesi must suffer the same fate like Adamusa Kande, and his defense was that no. He wasn't making reference to this matter, which is the criminal matter, but it was after the Supreme Court uh, ruling. But at the time the Supreme Court was making that ruling, this, this same Attorney General had instituted the criminal action against Yeji Kwesi. So at the time he was making the, uh, the, those statements, he was the lawyer in the criminal case that he had, he had instituted. And cannot be heard saying that that comment were made in reference to a civil suit, but not a criminal matter. When the same, when he was a lawyer in that same criminal matter. So we think that having reported to the General Legal Council, lawyers have been called to the General Legal Council for making such comments when the case is ongoing. There are a lot, a plethora of such examples. When the Supreme Court uh, the petition was ongoing, lawyers who were in the cases were reprimanded by the Supreme Court. And we think that the General Legal Council has got its own uh, 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 range of, uh, of, of, of discipline. And so we want first the, the, the General Legal Council to investigate the matter. And secondly, if it's found culpable, he be punished. I see. Uh, thank you so much, uh, the, uh, the the learned uh, Amaliba, Abraham Amaliba, uh, director of uh, legal for the NDC and a member of uh, the council, the legal team for Jetty Question. Thanks so much for speaking to us on Eyewitness on this matter. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. More of your messages uh, that have been coming through. Uh, General Otega uh, says uh, the Niger coup has provided. Uh, good opportunity for Africa to assert uh, its sovereignty and territorial rights to defeat neocolonialism. Unfortunately, our leaders are behaving like 
cowards. Prince Harry in Kufruja says the Akufado, Nana Akufado should send his cabinet to Niger and leave our soldiers alone. What is happening in Ghana is more to is more than what was happening in Niger. Uh, what you, you say that's Prince Henry in Koforidua. Uh Jones Adoboy in La says, Good evening, Salom. As much as I agree that a certain amount of force is necessary to instill discipline in the sub region, I also believe that the current crop of leaders we have lack the moral authority to take up dangerous activities which might they might not be able to finish. Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM will take a short break, return with City Business News. Don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akosi Archer. Let's settle for the details. The Executive Director of the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers, Kopek Duncan Amwa, has advised the government to stock up fuel when prices on the global market decreases. This follows an increase in the prices of petroleum products, which took effect yesterday. Duncan Amwa urges that a gold for oil policy will continuously have no direct impact on the pump if the government does not stock up. The government is keenly reviving and trying to read to the terminal refinery, Ketsi, Siga, and public enterprise in the hundreds and millions of dollars. One is making profit. One is also helping us very well together. We believe that Tor and Boss can collaborate and work with we do apologize for that wrong insert, but still on the energy sector, national oil companies have been challenged to adapt to the global energy landscape by leveraging the potential of the local industry. The impact of climate actions on global energy transition and the need for Ghana to move towards a more sustainable and low-carbon future have been crucial. Speaking at a stakeholder dialogue organized by Natural Resource Governance Institute, Senior Africa Program Office of the Institute, Dennis Jayiri made a strong case for the need for oil companies to tap into accessible reserves in the energy transition process. There's no one-size-fits-all solution to this uh, energy transition uh, risk discussion. But what we are trying to say is that each NOC has to look at a range of possibilities that it can pursue. So NOCs such as uh, GMPC must look at the potential that they have in the country. Do you have a potential? So, for instance, considering that Dangote refinery is already set up and is about to kick off, do you have that equal capacity to compete in the region? If you do not, which gaps are you seeing? Which niches are you looking at uh, taking advantage of? So, for instance, we cited the issue of lithium. We have just discovered lithium. What can you do with lithium as a national oil company, given that lithium is very useful in the transition process? Do you have to go into refineries like Dangote is doing, given that you have different capacities and you may not be able to compete? So it is all about encouraging companies to take advantage of their local opportunities and reduce the risks that they, they will bear on the energy transition, both locally and regionally. Dennis Jayiri is Senior Africa Program Officer at Natch. 
Natural Resource Governance Institute. Now, government has reaffirmed its support to revive the Tama oil refinery to boost the downstream petroleum production. The Ministry of Energy says any positive gains recorded by the state refinery will help the government in its operations. Sector Minister Dr. Matthew Pukuprempe notes the gains of government's go for oil uh, policy in ensuring that the country has constant supply of oil. The government is keenly reviving and trying to read to the terminal refinery, Ketsi, Cigar, and public enterprise in the hundreds and millions of dollars. One is making profit. One is also helping us very well to get there. We believe that Tor and Boss can collaborate and work effectively if both institutions are doing well. And we in the Ministry of Energy will continue to support efforts as making Tor the best refiner in Africa. Minister of Energy Dr. Matthew Opoku Prempe. Finally, UK based financial technology company Transfer has announced its operations in Ghana to boost financial inclusion. The coming on board of Transfer is to complement the efforts of Ghanaians to manage their UK digital bank accounts and engage in other financial operations in Ghana. Chief Executive Officer of the firm Ryan Romeo speaking at the official launch highlighted one of the company's, uh, company's products, the Freedom Bank account, which is primarily aimed towards African users. Banking infrastructure for the everyday Ghanaian, for the everyday Africa. What we're saying is that you can be based in Ghana without residency abroad and still be able to bank like a global citizen, have fully-fledged access to international payment systems like SWIFT, UK Faster Payments, to have your deposits insured by the relevant schemes by up to 80 to 85,000 pounds and be able to interact with the world financially in a way that is not currently available to individuals. The opportunities are unlimited as a result. The account is meant to basically promote business trade at various levels. It's meant to promote education crossover is meant to promote um, access for the freelancer and basically open up the global market um, to an audience that is currently not being made available to the average African to the average Ghanaian so that that's the main focus and the sort of purpose of this account the freedom account Ryan Romeo is chief executive officer of UK-based financial technology company Transfer. Well, that's it for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akosi Autry. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Welcome back. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. 20 minutes to the top of the hour. Tonight on Point Blank, the Electoral Commission has announced dates for the District Assembly elections. It has also announced dates for continuous registration of eligible persons 
onto Ghana's electoral roll. Chairperson of the commission, Mrs. Jean Mensah, addressed the press on these issues and other pertinent matters that came up. Let's listen. Our mission here today is to provide information on the upcoming voters' registration exercise as well as the district-level elections. As you may be aware, the Commission prepared a new CI on the voters' registration exercise and submitted same to Parliament for consideration and subsequent passage into law. Essentially, that draft CI on registration has had two distinct features. One, it recommends a registration of voters on a continuous basis at all our district offices nationwide. Secondly, it also proposes the use of the Ghana card as the sole document for the identification of a person's citizenship. The essence of both recommendations was to introduce integrity and efficiency into our registration process and ultimately strengthen the credibility of our electoral process. Our first recommendation for the continuous registration of eligible voters was basically to promote inclusiveness and to ensure that no one who qualifies to vote is denied the right to do so. As such, by that process, any Ghanaian 18 years and above and of sound mind, or any person who had not previously registered could simply visit any of our 267 district offices nationwide, present the required documentation, and register to vote. This proposal for continuous registration seeks to replace the current system, whereby the registration of eligible voters is done for a limited time only. Under the present regime, eligible voters could not participate who could not participate in a limited registration exercise were often excluded and disenfranchised as the registration was for a limited time only. The draft proposal seeks to cure this weakness as it promotes an all-year-round registration of eligible voters. As such, eligible voters could simply visit any of our offices at a time of their choice during the year to register to vote. The second proposal recommends the use of the Ghana card as a sole document for identification of a citizen. It also confirms the age of the applicant. This proposal aims at establishing and maintaining the integrity and credibility of the voters' role, which is a fundamental and foundational document in any election. Indeed, a credible voter's register is sine qua non for a credible election. As a commission that is determined to conduct credible, transparent, fair, and peaceful elections, we were keen to establish and uphold the integrity of the foundational document, which is the voter's register. Hence, our proposal to use a Ghana card as the sole document for identification of a person's citizenship as well as age. Our experience from the 2020 registration exercise, ladies and gentlemen, showed that several minors and foreigners using the window of the guarantor system 
found their way onto our roll. To read the Register of Minors and Foreigners in 2020, the Electoral Commission established the District Registration Review Committees, which worked for several weeks to delete the names of minors and foreigners from the register. It took substantial time and effort to expound the names of illegal persons from our rule. During the registration, some 40,000 minors and foreigners were challenged, and we managed to expound some 15,000 minors and foreigners from the register. This number is one too many, considering that in times past, in a time past, we elected a president with less than 40,000 votes between the first and second runners-up. In our view, this should not be countenanced or tolerated by any quarters, as it has the potential of undermining the credibility of our elections. The question we ask ourselves is why should we continue to use the guarantor system, which opens the door to corrupt and illegal practices and undermines the credibility of our register some 30 years after it was first introduced, and especially now when nearly 18 million Ghanaians above the age of 18, 15 years have the Ghana card. How can we continue to rely on the guarantor system to identify a citizen, sorry, how can we continue to, to rely on the guarantor system to identify who a citizen is when parliament has by itself passed a legislative instrument which states that for the purpose of identification of a citizen of Ghana, the Ghana card will be the sole document to be relied upon. And here, permit me to quote Regulation 7.1 of LI 2111, which states that a, na a national identity card issued to an individual shall be used for a number of transactions where identification is required. One of the mandatory transactions stated in Regulation 7.1 is the registration of voters. It is therefore unfortunate that after making and passing a law that established the Ghana card as the sole means of identification of a citizen, we are by ourselves undermining the very law that we have made. For the information of the citizenry, at the time of our registration exercise in 2020, the NIA had registered over 10 million persons. Indeed, some 10 million persons plus persons used the Ghana card as proof of citizenship, of their citizenship during the 2020 registration exercise. Today, the NIA has on its rule close to 18 million registrants. That is 8 million more persons since the 2020 voters registration exercise. Per the 2020 census figures, 450 Ghanaians attain the age of 18 years every year. Sorry, 450,000 Ghanaians attain the age of 18 years every year and therefore qualify to be registered to vote. As you may be aware, the Commission has not undertaken a voters registration exercise since the last one in 2020. This means that we are seeking to add to our register some 1,350,000 persons and we arrived at the calculation 
by relying on the census figures, which states that 450,000 persons turn 18 years every year. And so if we haven't registered since 2020, we've had 2021, 2022, and 2023. And if you multiply 450,000 by three, you arrive at 1,350,000 persons. So if all of them choose to register, you know, for the three years, we are looking at registering 1,350,000 persons at the end of 2023. And we provide these figures and statistics to make the point that it is highly prob probable that the 1,350,000 persons we intend to add on to the register are included in the additional 8 million more Ghanaians who have been issued with the Ghana card since our 2020 voters registration exercise. Simply put, the commission is hoping at best to register 1.3 million people by the end of 2020, if we are to go by the 2021 census projections. The point we seek to make is that it is likely that most, if not all of these 1.3 million persons already have the Ghana card. This is because, and I emphasize, the NIA has since the 2020 registration exercise, the voters registration exercise, added an additional 8 million new registrants to its rule. Therefore, we do not believe that upholding LI2111 and enforcing the use of the Ghana card to prove a person's citizenship will lead to disenfranchising citizens, as is being alleged by sections of our society. Indeed, it is in the Commission's interest to register all eligible voters and not to exclude and disenfranchise them. If any institution is keen to have a voters register that is credible and inclusive, it is the Electoral Commission of Ghana. And it is for that reason that we take pride in the fact that the 2020 voters register duly met international standards for voters registration in that 55% of our population was captured on the voters roll. You may recall, ladies and gentlemen, that in 38 days, the commission registered some 17 million and 27,000 persons out of a total population of 31 million per the 2021 census figures. As a commission, we find it unfortunate that our efforts to strengthen the credibility and integrity of our voters register, and by extension, our elections by the introduction of the draft CEI did not receive the support of parliament. Members of parliament were of the view that the NIA should fully operationalize its mandate before the CEI could be considered. Sadly, as we all know, the NIA has not fully commenced its operations nationwide due to a lack of resources. That leaves us with no option than to rely on the current CEI with its inherent challenges to conduct a voters registration exercise until such time as the NIA would become fully operational. Ladies and gentlemen, I will now turn my attention to the modalities for the voters registration exercise for the year 2023. 
Article 42 of the 1992 Constitution confers on every Ghanaian who is 18 and above and of sound mind the right to register to vote. Article 45A mandates the Electoral Commission to compile the register of voters at such periods that may be determined by law. It is in the discharge of this mandate and as part of the Commission's preparations towards the conduct of the 2023 district level elections that the Commission will undertake a voters registration exercise. The voters registration exercise will afford Ghanaians who have attained the age of 18 years since the last registration in 2020 and others who are more than 18 years, but for very, who were more than 18 years at the time, but for various region, reasons could not register during the 2020 registration, the opportunity to do so. I'll turn my attention to the legal framework. Pursuant to Regulation 2.1 of the Public Elections Registration of Voters Regulations, CI 2016, CI 91, as amended by CI 126, the Electoral Commission will embark on a voters registration exercise in all the 268 district offices of the Commission. The registration exercise will commence on Tuesday, the 12th of September, 2023, and end on Monday, the 2nd of October, 2023. The exercise will be held between the hours of 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. each day, including Saturdays and Sundays. As mentioned earlier, the registration will take place in all the 268 district offices of the Commission, including the newly created Guan District. In other words, each district office will serve as a registration center. The Commission staff at the district, that is the district electoral officers, the assistant district electoral officers, our secretaries and other staff will serve as our registration offices. Qualifications and requirements for registration. The requirements for the voter registration exercise remain the same as what pertains in the public elections registration of voters regulations. 2016, CI 91-1, as amended by CI 126. A person qualifies to register if he or she is a citizen of Ghana, is 18 years and above, is of sound mind, is resident or ordinarily resident in an electoral area, and has not already registered as a voter, or is not prohibited by any law in force before registering to vote. Proof of eligibility and evidence of identification. In addition to the above, all applicants are to show proof of eligibility by tendering any of the following identification documents. One, the national identification card, also known as the Ghana card, and the Ghana passport. Applicants who do not have any of the identification documents listed above are required to present two persons who are already registered voters to vouch for their citizenship and age. Per law, a guarantor can guarantee for up to 10 applicants. 
it is important to emphasize that it is a criminal offense to guarantee for more than 10 applicants. And a person who guarantees for more than 10 applicants will be prosecuted. It is also a criminal offense for a guarantor to guarantee for non-citizens and minors. The commission will identify such persons and bring them up for prosecution. And here I'd like to call on our media partners to assist us in educating our citizenry on this specific section of the law. Procedure for the registration exercise. The registration will be done online using the district management system and offline using the biometric voter registration kit. The registration officer will record the biographical data of applicants. The data entry clerk will capture the biometric data, that is the fingerprint and facial features of applicants, and, assist, and, an, and an assistant registration officer will laminate the ID card for applicants immediately. This means that persons who qualify would be giving their ID card immediately before they leave the center. Copies of the start and end of day reports would also be provided to political party representatives at the registration centers. And by this we mean that before the start of any registration, the copies of the start of day reports would be provided showing that there's nobody who has been registered on the system. And end of day reports would also be provided to them. And this makes it possible for any political party that is so interested to collate the number of persons who have been registered across the country on any given day. Complaints and challenge procedures. The challenge procedure for the registration exercise is the same as what pertains in the CI 91 as amended. Applicants may be challenged on grounds of eligibility by anyone who qualifies to register as a voter. The district registration review committees would be reconstituted to sit on all challenge cases. Accredited political party agents. Political party agents and representatives would be accredited and allowed to observe the registration exercise. Each party would be required to present one representative at a time at a registration center. I'll turn my attention to registration of prison inmates. The commission will also undertake the registration for prison inmates who are Ghanaians and who qualify to register as voters. And as I mentioned, the inmates must be Ghanaians and must, they must meet the qualifications to be able to register as voters. To date, we have written to the Ghana Prison Service to present us and to furnish us with a list of prison wards and centers nationwide. Replacement of lost ID cards, lost voter cards. It is important to note that during this period, the commission will undertake the replacement of voter ID cards at all the registration centers nationwide. We state categorically that persons who have lost their voter's ID card do not need to register again. They simply have to request for a replacement of their card. It is an offense, it is an offense for a person who has misplaced 
his or her card to register again. For the information of the general public, voters will be required to pay 10 CDs for the replacement of lost ID cards. And in the course of time, the commission will be making available some numbers to enable persons who have lost their cards make the payment through those platforms. Supplementary register. A supplementary register would be exhibited for applicants who registered during the voter registration exercise at all our registration centers throughout the country this year. So you had chairperson of the Electoral Commission, Madame Jane Mensah, outlining the calendar of the Electoral Commission and what to expect in the next few months. This is how we conclude today's edition of the program. Show has been produced by Nana Kopna Welsing, Beverly London, and Sami Wiafi. Technical assistance is being by Daniel Squashi. Social media by Edwin Kwakufi. Earlier you heard Akosi Archery. My name is Selom Adunu. Have a good evening. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.